Hello and welcome to episode 122 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. I am Anthony Maliki in the U.S. editor of Waters and I'm joined by James Rundle, our news editor. Hey Tony, how you doing? Good, good. Good, good start to the day. Is this peppy enough for you? Yeah, there yeah, we go. Good. Now I'm okay. excited. According yeah. <laughs> to on 4.30 on a Thursday after we had an event where we stayed till late on the open bar. So, yes. We'll be a fun topics at the end of this because, you know, we'll keep this one short and sweet. But we do have uh, a special guest this week, um, so you don't have to listen to us that much. So, James, give us a little bit of a brief uh, run Yeah, on. so I had a chat with Chris Isaacson earlier this week, who is the CIO uh, of BATS, or not BATS, SIBO uh, Global Markets, used to be BATS. Uh, he wanted to come on and chat about what they're doing in terms of migrating their technology, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. So, obviously, SIBO bought BATS a few years ago. Um, and they've undergone a, pro- a program of moving all of their options exchanges onto BATS's technology. And they're kind of about two-thirds of the way through that now. So, uh, yeah, we chatted with Chris and uh, to see how it goes. And yeah, you should be able to listen to that and have some fun. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, so that will play after we're done with a little bit of this. Um, not much housekeeping to go, except that the Waters rankings are now open for voting. So yes, um, if you are an end user, uh, buy, side, sell side, bank, broker asset manager hedge fund you know it's free for you guys can just vote on who you're using who you think is the best in the space yeah if you are a vendor a pr person consultant you can't vote in those so um and please do vote as well because i mean these are the only awards programs we run where it's actually publicly decided on yeah um, the rest of it's done by a panel of judges um and it does rely on your input so yeah you know, if you value them please do vote yeah well i like a judging panel Ultimately, we have about 500 words to kind of see, and some person can just maybe do a better job of writing up their thing, but might not necessarily always be the best technology. Right. But, exactly. yeah. So this one, this is you kind of saying to us, no, this is the best product out there. So that's open, and we'll link to it. Um, today, well, when this is live. In the future. In the day. May 25th. Uh, is the go live date for the general data protection uh, regulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, GDPR, as it's more commonly well known. You've all been getting emails, I'm sure. Yep. I mean, actually, I think that's probably the biggest thing about GDPR that I like is that it's now just making me all these other lists that I was on and just getting this junk mail and stuff from. You know, rather than me having to go to unsubscribe, this is just doing it for me. Some of it looks super creepy about it, though. Like, I've been getting emails saying, oh, you know, the quite funny approach saying, we love you and we want you to stay here, and then I haven't responded, and I've had another email the next day going, no, seriously, we love you. Can you please resubscribe? It's yeah, so one that said, uh, I guess what's, what I found, so we had this event uh, on Wednesday, the North American Financial Information Summit. This is a data conference. Mm-hmm. This place is filled with folks who work in the world of data and who want to hear about market data, reference data, these kind of things. They live and breathe that stuff, man, and I have done for years. So. What amazed me was how few people had heard of GDPR or just had a passing knowledge of it. I, I was laughing because we had this panel and Naraj Hedge, uh, he's a quantitative trading analyst at um, Society General and General, whatever. Um, so infamous French pronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he, he flat out admitted, he's like, I know nothing about GDPR. I literally just heard about this week uh, or last week. I asked, uh, somebody from our team to put together a report just so I would have a better understanding of it. And rather than just getting a briefing, I got 80 pages. Wow. It's a complex monster that I, you know, I think that because people were setting up for MIFID 2 and January 3rd, 
I don't think they realized just how much was involved, especially with the repapering of this and all these other aspects. Yeah, I don't think the European uh, authorities done a great job of explaining it to people either. I mean, I've had people ask me from every walk and talk of life, from people working banks and hedge funds through to even PR agencies going, do you know anything about this? What the hell are we supposed to do? Can we keep our database? Can we not? Do we have to like do all this stuff? And then this kind of weird little thing where some people send you emails saying you have to like actively opt in to receive stuff, yeah. which isn't actually true. All you need to do is just include an unsubscribe button. On the mm-hmm. So I think it is to send one and just like, like, yeah, this is happening. We have to send you an email about it. You don't have to do anything. It's fine. You know? Yeah. And just everybody's now at the last minute just trying to be like, oh, God, we got to do this now, so yeah. let's get on this. I think the problem is, though, that um, a lot of people, you know, as you say, are either coming to this very late in the day um, or they're regarding it as simply just because they are doing that, I suppose, just a checkbox thing in the purest sense of the word. Like, oh, God, okay, we have to be GDPR compliant. Uh, Send the email, just do it, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, and then not actually realising the kind of the wider impact this has on investment management um, businesses, particularly buy side firms. Not notorious for being the best people when it comes to knowing the ins and outs of regulation and yeah, how it affects sure. them. Um, but you know, there's a lot of impact on it, about how does it affect your ability to market your funds to clients? How do you use your clients' proprietary data? Yeah. Um, you know, if you're a multinational company, what platform you put it on, who owns it, who's seeing it, who's not. There's a lot of stuff in there that I think is gonna be Pretty nasty because the European Union has uh, taken a big stance on data privacy over the last few years. Uh, obviously, culminating in GDPR, but they haven't been shy about going after big companies about it as well. So. The other interesting thing I think we're going to see here. So as this goes into effect, how much of a grace period is there mm. uh, for uh, how much, when the regulators are going to crack down? This, I had one person say that their prediction was. So when I was at the event, um, uh, somebody at the bank he said that he thought that the first big fine is going to come out against a U.S. firm. So they're going to want to send a scout. Really? Yeah. All right? And let you let everybody know we mean business. But that they're actually going to go and do it to a U.S. firm just to kind of let everybody know this is a global thing. You yeah. all have to get on it. And then we'll go, go down this legal road of, which is, wait, how much do you yeah, guys yeah. actually have of a say here? I don't really that know. That would be that. a bold move for yeah, European right? regulations saying, no, guys, this applies to everybody. And everybody. I would like, you know... The, Maybe someone from the Department of Justice to turn around and go, actually, no, I didn't believe that went through the Senate or the House, so yeah. uh, go to hell. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. Um, but, you know, so I wrote a feature about this and for the October issue of Waters, and two quotes that kind of jumped out at me. One was uh, Dessa Glasser, uh, who is now in the consulting world, but was um, a former chief data officer at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. And she said, this is late in the year now. Um, that when I spoke with these people, but we dealt with MIFID and all the other regulations at J.P. Morgan Asset Management, but one of the hardest things is GDPR. Out of all the regulations, and we looked at this pretty early on, this is the one that concerned me the most because it was not as well-defined and it was extremely far-reaching. So that kind of encompasses what you were saying. And then I spoke with uh, Daniel Andre Pauli, uh, who's a partner at uh, Linklater, it's a law firm. He said... They all underestimated the scope of the project. Almost all projects are now behind schedule or have not yet started because they need to find a budget and they need to figure out who is responsible for the project within the organization. Do they need lawyers and consultants or only lawyers or only consultants? What we're telling our our protection clients is that they need to hurry up. It's a big project and those who have already started, they all underline that it is the biggest project in 2017, 2018. It's massive. Yeah. And so when I was speaking on a panel with a couple people and I was asking them about GDPR 
and at this event. And I just asked the audience, you know, who, give an honest answer, who's brave enough here to say that you just heard about GDPR for the first time in the past week? And there was a good proportion of people, <laughs> again, at a data <laughs> conference, conference that put their hand up. And so, again, this will be interesting to see how this kind of unfolds now. Yeah. Where, because I think that there are going to be some hiccups. I don't think that there's going to be a huge fine that's going to come out early unless there's something truly egregious. But I think that there's going to be some stern warnings coming out over the I next few so, months. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't have much sympathy for the banks when it comes mm. to regulation. They're complaining yeah, about yeah, it, getting a... Real pain about that, yeah, exactly. But um, I think this is the one occasion where I do actually have a bit of sympathy for them. As you said, they've had to deal with MIFID, they've had to deal with benchmark regulation, they've had to deal with all the stuff coming out of the US, and this has kind of just suddenly appeared in the last few months, yeah. and everyone's already going, oh, God, what are we going to do? Yeah. And uh, it is so big and it's so monstrous that, you know, I think it would have been maybe prudent on the part of the European authorities to have some kind of relief for financial firms or something, saying, okay, we understand you've had to do lots for this, so yeah. take another 12 months, get your house in order, after that, we'll start finding you. But yeah. maybe it'll be an official case. I mean, I do appreciate with the spirit of the of the rule of what they're saying. You know, we, we talk about data protection, data privacy mm-hmm. a lot, and so I, I'm. It's not that I'm anti this law; is that I am anti a lot of. Unlike you, I do have I do feel for the banks. You yeah, know, and I think that the, yeah. too many regulations. Um, but this is one that I can I understand that we need. This is a kind of a first salvo in this new world that we live in. And so this isn't just for banks, it's for every kind of company out there. Um, With with some notable exemptions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, this kind of right to be forgotten, you know, these are interesting things that are gonna have, I think that there's gonna be, you know, kind of deep deep thought pieces, you know, a couple of years from now about how either effective or, wow, this was totally an ineffective regulation because we just do not understand how data is traveling right now and just how interconnected it is and just how difficult it is to, even if you want to, to lose data, essentially, to get rid of and erase data. I think that we're, that this is going to be an interesting you know, trial balloon going forward. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as we said before on the podcast, maybe a sign of things actually catching up in the modern world. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see how it goes from there. Um, so, yeah, we'll obviously be writing about uh, this, you know, as new things pop up from it. But if you have any thoughts, if you've gone through the process, talk to Tony. Yeah, talk to me. <laughs> you know, talk to our European reporters. Oh, no. <laughs> we do have a lot of that. Um, so, yeah, uh, but we'd be interested to hear if, there's, if you got anything that maybe isn't being reported, excuse me, being reported on. Um, so, yeah, uh, short one. It's Memorial Day weekend coming up here. Yep. Hopefully you are stuck in traffic on uh, the Jersey, you know, trying to head down to the Jersey Shore, and you're listening to the podcast, um, and, and just really just generally hating life. In your private helicopter, flying out to the Hamptons, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever it is. Exactly. So, uh, uh, but we do have some good stuff here now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll hand it over, I guess, to Chris Isaacson. Chris Isaacson CBO and past me. Yeah. And past you. Yeah. Have a good Memorial Day weekend, and we'll be back with you next week. Hello again, as Tony said, I'm joined today by Chris Isaacson, EVPN's Chief Information Officer at SIBO Global Markets. Chris, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. Thank you, James. Pleasure having me. Okay, great. So we're going to have a chat today about the technology migration program that's underway at SIBO. Um, for those of you listening who either don't know or I guess may have been living under a rock for the past few years, SIBO, um, of course, acquired BATS Global Markets a couple of years ago. 
And since then, it's been undergoing a project to move SIBO's exchanges to BATS's proprietary technology. And I believe you've most recently completed the migration of the C2 Options Exchange on May the 14th. Is that correct? Yes, correct. May the 14th, uh, which was uh, this is our second major exchange migration uh, this year. CFE was first, but CFE happened on, Feb, on February 25th. Mm-hmm. which is the CFE Futures Exchange, and then C2 migrated on Monday, May 14th. Okay, great stuff. All right, so why don't we start there? I mean, you know, Chris, obviously changing the, the technology foundation of an exchange is a complex process, I'd imagine, to say the least. Um, you know, what does this entail from a technology perspective for you guys? Yeah, we, we've, this is not the first uh, technology integration or migration platform that uh, my team and I have done uh, from the history at BATS, we had we had, uh, purchased and integrated ChiX Europe. Mm-hmm. Likewise, had uh, purchased and integrated Direct Edge, and then most recently, before SIBO uh, acquired BATS, we had purchased and integrated uh, Hotspot FX, which is now SIBO FX. So we had a kind of a roadmap uh, or a playbook that we we go by in order to migrate exchanges. And from the beginning, SIBO uh, and under Ed Tilley's leadership had decided that. One of the key tenants of uh, this acquisition, this merger, was that BATS technology would be running all of the equities, options, and futures markets for SIBO Global Markets. Mm-hmm. So we really started planning for these exchange migrations, for the three SIBO exchange migrations, uh, frankly, before the, the deal was even closed in February of 2017. And so because we've been planning them in parallel, both CFE, C2, and and even C1, the main market that will go next year. This is really a year-plus-long project, and that includes, you know, rules that file with the SEC or CFTC. It includes um, all of the technical work, all the infrastructure work that needs to get done, all the requirements that have to be written, mm-hmm. um, all of the customer communications, you know, countless customer calls. Um, we try to over-communicate with these migrations because we recognize that um, while we can be ready, if our customers aren't ready, it's all a moot point. And so very pleased to say on both C2 and CFE, we had 100% customer participation on the first day because of a lot of hard work by our customers and not just us. Mm-hmm. And from the customer perspective, I guess they had to update their connectivity and, and everything else. Um, you guys are obviously doing the heavy lifting in the back end. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they they have to. It's really twofold from a customer perspective. They have to get physical connectivity to a new platform, and likewise, they have to write to new software APIs uh, to the platform. And many of them had previous experience with BATS technology in either U.S. equities options or European equities, but um, there were changes to to the platform that they needed to make. So, both software and hardware work to do. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned you've had some some pretty decent experience already with this migrating CFE and also integrating Hotspot and everything else. But um, you, you know, what are the particular challenges of, of doing a project like this while keeping the markets running on a daily basis? I mean, how do you kind of manage the two of those? Yeah, so it's an ever-present challenge. You have to keep your eyes on both. Um, clearly, if you don't keep your run, your markets running on a daily basis, you have you don't have any runway to do any major change, which these migrations are. Mm-hmm. They don't get much bigger than the migrations we've done, which are just stepping back. The migrations we do, they're they're hot cuts. We do them, we do many many dress rehearsals leading up to them on weekend tests, 
and they get to test multiple months in advance. And then when we cut it over, it's on a single day. We're not doing a phase migration. So in order to introduce that large of a change to customers, they have to trust you and be participating in testing up till that point. And your markets have to be running basically flawlessly leading up to that. So that they're not distracted by what's going on in the current market, taking away their attention from what you want them to be thinking about, which is what the new market's going to look like. Mm-hmm. So I just say the dedication of the SIBO team, having people that are focused on both, focused on running the, the existing platform and those who are on building and testing and, and preparing the new platform. So it's a real pleasure, you know, to work with the team here. I'd also say, um, you know, the scale of these migrations with SIBO is that they're, they're the largest that, that I've been a part of, um, having been part of quite a few, but it's the largest just because the scale um, of now 15 exchanges we run around the globe, as well as proprietary products that we're trading on these SIBO exchanges adds a heightened level of sensitivity, criticality uh, to to each migration. Sure, yeah. And you mentioned that it's not a phased uh, approach. There's, there is actually a cutover when you kind of switch the new platform. I mean, how, how nervous was the room when you switched on the new system for C2? Uh, were you guys confident or from the experience? Or? Yeah, I mean we have we have confidence. Uh, otherwise we wouldn't otherwise we wouldn't have you know declared we're going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's always uh, you know reservation. There's always uh, it's not done until it's done. Um, sure. But that's part of what the intensity is part of what makes our job fun. Mm-hmm. Um, that we work together. We pour in more than a year's worth of work on these migrations. Usually, work with our customers and um, yeah, the intensity and the small amount of unknown that we do expect uh, is, is frankly, uh, sometimes enjoyable, as it was with C2. Um, knock on wood, the, you know, the amount of issues we saw were very, very small, um, the kind of very small things that you would expect. So, but that has come from many, many lessons learned through multiple migrations. Sure, yeah. Uh, and just come back to something you said earlier. I mean, um, taking it back a, a little beyond C2, uh, you know, you mentioned that uh, one of the first decisions, I guess, when SIBO and, and BATS did come together was the decision to move to BATS proprietary technology. I mean, how beneficial was having that decision made early in the process to you guys in terms of all the work you had to do, all the planning, all the customization, the platforms and everything else? Oh, it was paramount. The it would be impossible for us to have delivered on the migrations that we have this year without having that decision made up front. Um, because then, then you get into a bake-off within an organization about what technology is going to uh, is going to be the one you're running going forward, and and that sort of analysis and decision making can take months, if not years. And so, the clarity that was provided by Ed and the SIBA board from the very beginning uh, in conjunction with us uh, was was paramount. We could basically hit the ground running. Now we didn't know this we didn't know each other as companies very well, so clearly you have to get through that interpersonal part of any integration. Mm-hmm. But thankfully the you know the teams work together well and uh, we've been able to deliver. Excellent. So it has been some sort of teams from both I guess kind of legacy SIBO and legacy bats working together to accomplish this rather than just a bats team saying we're gonna move the technology. Yeah, of course. Uh, there's there's no way for us to do this uh, with with either one legacy team or another. It's it's really there is no there's only one team, uh, and that's the Fibo team. Sure. Okay. 
And uh, obviously this is, uh, as we said a few times already, this is one of several migrations you've done. Um, what's left to move over? You're moving the flagship SIBO options exchange. Um, is it later this year? You planning to uh, we're moving that later next year, so 2019. Okay. Um, and the reason for it being next year is uh, because there's unique complexity introduced by uh, seamlessly integrating floor trading and electronic trading. Mm -hmm. So the SIBO flagship options exchange has a floor in Chicago at our foreign at South LaSalle location. Trades are large proprietary SPX and VIX options uh, and, you know, really a flagship exchange. So the complexity introduced by the floor demands more care, um, more care, more coding, and more preparation with our customers to make sure we get it right. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, this year has been, thankfully, you know, uh, we've we've migrated thus far. We Part of the, the effort to migrate the SIBO flagship options exchange next year is really preparatory steps we've made this year. The first step was to uh, extract out of that platform uh, the new index platform that we launched in January, uh, and then launching CFE. And then actually in April, at the end of April, we migrated the, the monthly AM settled SPX options contract from what had been a a, uh, a manual market with some electronic to a fully hybrid market. So SPX migrated to a hybrid market model. And um, that was a major step that helps us avoid um, a fair amount of work on integration. And it was time for that product to trade more electronic. And then finally, the latest thing this year has been C2. So what I'll tell you is between now and C, now and C1 is what we call it, the flagship SIBO Options Exchange, we will be doing a series of incremental releases of feature packs um, leading up to it so that we minimize the amount of change that will happen on that day, introducing new features and functionality to our three options exchanges that are already running on BATS technology. Sure. And that's the, the last migration you guys have to do, right, in 2019? Yeah, and I'd say that another step that I missed, I, I should have said, is at the end of this year, we're going to be introducing new floor trading terminals on the floor. Uh, okay. That that technology is is uh, is quite quite old and but very effective. But we are migrating that to more modern web-based technology. So a new floor terminal technology will be released in the fourth quarter of this year, and that will be a big penultimate step that we take before. Uh, the ultimate C1 migration. Mm -hmm. Great stuff. All right, well, that's great. Listen, Chris, um, thanks again for being on the show and, and best of luck with all the work you guys have left to do on this. Um, sounds like you've got your work cut out for you over the next couple of years. Thank you so much for having me on today. 